our reading today comes from uh, John chapter 1, and I'll be reading from verses 1 to 18 from the NIV translation. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out, saying, This was he whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made him known. Awesome. Thanks, John. Morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone here. Sorry, let me just put stuff down. I'm going to move this before I knock it over. Cool. So I hope you're all having a good start to the year, a start to the week. It's been a very busy morning just because all the youth and kids programs are just starting back up. And I feel like, I don't know, my heart's just racing. We're just like making sure that everything went well and went to the plan. Some things didn't, but that's okay. So I'm just going to pray just because I need to like get my heart rate down. And I know that really works. So why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you that we can come together this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can hear from your word, that we can praise you. And we just thank you for the different kids and youth ministries that are out right now, that your spirit just oversee those ministries and uh, bless the leaders and bless the kids that they would hear from you this morning. And we just pray for us. As we come to hear your word, we pray that your spirit will just calm and still us. Lord, that you help us to focus on the now and not all the different worries and things that we have going on in our lives and things that we need to do before the week starts. In your son's name, amen. Well, every year we try to come up with a theme that would help kind of guide and direct the way we would want to grow as a community of faith. And it's, it's very difficult to kind of summarize all of that in just like a word or a phrase. So November last year, we were in our pastoral meeting and we were thinking, what is the theme for 2024 going to be? And I jokingly said the theme, all things new. And 
it's like, I don't know, like, I don't want to say I like, was so creative and came up with that because it was the Baptist State Youth Camps theme. I just thought it sounded cool. But I also thought it was a little tongue-in-cheek, you know, we've got Ben and Tim leaving, out with the old, in with the new kind of thing. But as we started talking about it more, we started to notice the theme of new and like God wanting to make all things new in the Bible. Like new can be kind of scary because we associate new with change. Like, you know, when you, you move schools, you move jobs, you move homes, that change can be scary. However, we started looking through the Bible and was bringing up things like the new covenant, new life, the new commandment Jesus gives, the new Israel, the new temple, the new nation. And we came up also with the theme of, um, was it? Yeah, new creation. And when you look at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, John has this vision of God showing what's going to come. In Revelation 21, it says, Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write these down, for these words are trustworthy and new. So that's where that phrase, I'm making everything new, or I'm making all things new, um, kind of fits into the context of the Bible, that God's plan was to restore things to the way that they once wore, the way that He created them. And so, if you remember last year, our theme was goodness, and we had a definition for goodness that was along the lines of, in the state that it was like made, or the state that it was meant to be, so that it could carry out whatever purpose God had for it. And so, this idea of all things new is returning to that state that God made us, returning to that state where God um, like made creation and the renewal of all things. And it's basically the story of the gospel, Jesus coming down to, to bring things back to God. So I'm excited to see where like, that takes us, and for each of us that could be a different thing in terms of what that might mean for us. But in that, we're going to be looking this term at the book of John. Um, and so... John is a very interesting book. I don't know if you've read it and compared it to the other Gospels, but in the Bible we have four accounts of Jesus' life, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you were a teacher marking these Gospels as assignments, I think you'd be a little concerned. I think you'd be bringing Matthew, Mark, and Luke into your office and talking to them about plagiarism because they share a lot of common material. Now, it's, it's not to say that, like, that's bad or anything, but it's just they're quite similar even though they have their different unique kind of purposes and what they're doing, but they share a lot of the same material where John stands out from them. John's got some stuff that they, he shares, but there's also quite a few stories, quite a few accounts of Jesus' life that are different to the other Gospels. And I wanted to show that off by asking you this question. If someone asked you who Jesus was, what do you think the most important information would be? What would be the first couple of sentences that you would describe 
Jesus? Like, what would you use to describe that to a colleague, to a friend, to a family member that asked you, who is Jesus? What is the most important thing? The book of Mark begins with John the Baptist's testimony of Jesus and John baptizing him, signifying like the start of Jesus' ministry and just how important that baptism and like God's Spirit coming down was. Luke goes even further back to the miracle of John the Baptist's birth and kind of how that kind of mirrored a bit of like Abraham and Sarah giving birth to Isaac and then it goes on from there and then you hear like the story of like Mary and the same account with her and the angel hearing about the miraculous birth of Jesus. Matthew, on the other hand, goes even further back and he looks at the genealogy of Jesus. He goes through all the names that we probably don't remember but wants to point out that Jesus is a descendant of King David and a descendant of Abraham. Then we come to the book of John and the book of John starts off with a poem to help us understand who Jesus is but then looks at two stories from the Old Testament that the Jews would have been very familiar with. The first is the creation story back in Genesis in the start and the second is in Exodus where Israel is wandering the wilderness. And John wants his readers to understand if you really want to know who Jesus is, if you really want to know who he is, you need to go all the way back to the beginning. You need to understand that he was there in the beginning, that he's bigger than just a prophet, that he's bigger than just a miracle worker or a good teacher, but that he actually was there when the universe was created. In verse 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So we can see that like John really wants to emphasize that Jesus didn't kind of just come about and exist just at the start of the gospel, but he was there from the beginning of time, that he was with God there. When God was bringing creation into being, when he was bringing order out of disorder, Jesus was there. In verse 3, it says, through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. And so, Jesus wasn't just there, but he was part of the process, that he's so integral to the process of God creating the universe, that everything that was made has been made with him. And the first relationship we see between um, God and Jesus is God and his word. Now, when someone speaks, like their word is like different or like separate from them, like when I'm speak, like I get you can't say the words, but they're, they're different from me as they go out, they're distinct, but they carry along some of like, I guess my character, some of like my intentions, my attitudes and things, depending on what I'm saying, like some of me and who I am goes out in that. And that's the same with Jesus, that as the embodiment of God's word, he carries those characteristics of God. He carries his divine nature, his character, his authority. And we see that as God speaks, creation obeys. And you, we can read in the Gospels, when Jesus speaks, creation obeys. It's simply in Genesis 1, verse 3, God says, let there be light, and there was light. And just like a king speaks and things get done, when Jesus speaks as God's word, things happen. Continuing on in verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not 
overcome it. And just like as we're still thinking about creation, God spoke and there was light and light came out of the darkness and you, we could see now with the coming of Jesus into the world, there is a new light. There is a new light that allows people to see. There is a new light that lets people come out of the darkness and to, to live in the light. And not just light, but life. If you remember in the beginning, God breathes life into humanity when he creates people. It's, we're told that he, he breathes his life, but now Jesus is in the flesh here walking and he is life. He brings life and light. In verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came as only a witness to the light. Now, I'm not sure if anyone else had this experience of during COVID, but I got into some weird hobbies. And one of them was speed running. Now, some of you might think that might be going outside and running really fast, but it's actually the opposite to anything resembling physical activity. And you might be asking, like, why are we learning about this? Well, all things new. So, um, <laughs> but the game I got into was this game called 2048. And you were, like, combining these numbers. It's not important. But there was a global leaderboard, and you could post your times on, like, how well you were doing. And you couldn't just go to the leaderboard and say, hey, I did it in 10 seconds, put me up there. Like, you had to submit video proof so that they could witness you accomplish that record. So you would record yourself playing, and you would submit that, then the moderators would watch your video, do the things they do to make sure you weren't cheating, and then they would put your record on the leaderboard. And I'm gonna, like, it's a little disturbing. I didn't get, I didn't get a medal, but I got fourth place in one of the categories and 10th place in another one. But I'm like down at the bottom now. This is like two, three years ago. But they, they needed to make sure that they had some way to witness you complete that record. And so a witness is someone who's able to see something, verify it, and then tell other people about it. And so we're told that John is this witness of Jesus that he sees Jesus and he can testify about Jesus to other people, that he recognises that he's not the light, that's John, but that Jesus is the light. And I really love John's attitude about it because you'll read a bit later in chapter 3 that some of his disciples are actually becoming Jesus' disciples and all the people are like, John, what are you doing? Like, you need to, like, get these disciples back. He's taken all your people and John says... I must decrease, oh, I, he must become greater, I must become less. He must become greater, I must become less. And I just really love his humility and understanding that. And so a question I have for all of us is, how do we act as a light or a witness to point others to Jesus? How, like John, could we put our pride aside and point to Jesus Last Friday night, we looked at Acts 1, where Jesus says to his disciples, you're going to be my witnesses to the, the ends of the earth. So, how are you a witness for Jesus? Continue on in verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which his own, but his own did not receive him. I wonder what that would have been like for Jesus 
to have made the world, to have made the people, and to come into the world and not be recognised, that his own people wouldn't recognise him, that there's this promised king that God had been saying would come, that would be unlike any other king, and when he arrived, they didn't recognise him. And I think as followers of Jesus, we, we want to be able to recognise Jesus. We don't want to miss him, in a sense. That, like, if he was walking past us, would we recognise him? Like, I get the physical characteristics might be a bit tricky, but would we recognise his character, his love, his compassion? Or would we, like Israel, miss him? And so it's just, as we continue to, to learn more about him, as we continue to grow in our faith, we'll continue to understand more and more of who he is, and hopefully that's something that doesn't happen, that we would actually be able to recognise Jesus and his character. Verse 12, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. And I really like these verses because there's a choice for everyone. There's a choice for everyone to become children of God. It's not something that's necessarily that is chosen. Like, it's not about an ethnic group or a tribal family. It's not about one person's desire to continue their family line or their lineage or build up a dynasty. It's not about human decision, but it's people born of God. It doesn't matter that, like, anyone can be part of God's family. It doesn't matter if you're born in Australia, overseas, anywhere else. It doesn't matter age. Like, it's a, a thing that's determined, like, that we're born from God. And so I really think that's an eye-opening part for us that, Anyone can be part of God's family, but it's also like, like looking in, but looking out as we look, like we, we recognise that like we can all be part of God's family, like no one's excluded in that. And that's all through Jesus. Now, the second story John brings up is the story in Exodus of the Israelites wandering the desert. In verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In Exodus, the Israelites, they escape from Egypt and they're wandering the wilderness and God gives them this instruction to construct this tabernacle, this tent. And the word in this verse used for dwell literally just means to live in a tent. And so John wants the readers to realise that just as God was with the Israelites, Jesus as God is now with His people. We're going to read in Exodus 40 what it was like for the glory of the Lord to be with the people. In Exodus 40, 34, it says, The cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites... When the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. What a sight to see, to see God's presence resting among the people, to be led and just be able to see it so vividly. That the Israelites were led by God's presence but now is Jesus in the flesh. They see God's presence walking among them. 
John wants to tell us that Jesus, the eternal Word of God, became human to embody God's glory among the people. And I think it's, it's really, uh, it's pointing, like what the tabernacle was, was this kind of foreshadowing of what Jesus would be like, that he would, that God would be with his people, that they would be led by him. And it even kind of picks up, I'm going to read back from Revelation 21 again, that just the idea of God dwelling with his people. Because I think back then for them, it was this like kind of, I don't know, far out kind of idea that God would actually come down and be with his people, that he would be amongst the people. Like they had, a lot of um, other kind of religions and faiths just had the idea that God was this lofty, far away being, but you could actually be with God, that you could have a relationship with him. That would have been so revolutionary. But in Revelation 21, it says, look, God's dwelling place is among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be them and be their God. So Jesus comes to to show that God is with us. Continuing on in John chapter 1, verse 15, it says, John testified concerning him. He cried out saying, this is the one I spoke about when I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth come from Jesus Christ. And there's a, there's a few things to highlight from these verses, and I think one of the big ones is just the emphasis of grace. Like, John hasn't finished the first chapter of his book, and he wants to emphasize just how important grace is. And it's not just grace, it's grace upon grace, grace in place of grace. This idea of unending, overflowing grace. I think for a lot of them, they might have felt maybe bogged down by the rules and the law that they were trying to meet this standard. But John's trying to remember them that it's through Jesus Christ and the grace that he gives so freely to each of us that we can live our lives. We don't have to do anything to earn it, but God gives that grace to us freely. And in verse 17, John is trying to show the comparison of the law, God's written word, how Israel was supposed to live and stand out to the other nations to show God's love through the way that they conducted themselves. But now there was something greater, God's living word embodied in Jesus, that they had the ultimate gift of Jesus through that, that he would come and bring grace and truth, that we would look to him and see God's word. So it doesn't mean that the law isn't useful, but it's just that there's something better has come, like God's living word in the person of Jesus. Now we've got the last verse, verse 18. It says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who himself God is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And it started off, I guess, the relationship with God and Jesus as God and his word. And now we see that relationship change to a father and son. And that we're told that no, like the only way to the Father is through Jesus. That it's, it's not about us trying to strive, but it's through Jesus that we have access to God. And I, I don't usually get too nitty-gritty into like the Greek because I, I haven't, I don't know, I've forgotten a lot of the Greek that I studied at college, but a question like as I was like watching videos on YouTube to prepare, um, came up with like, how is the last phrase interpreted? Interpreted? Interp- that word. Understood. So one idea of the thing was 
um, has made him known, like that last bit, was that it uses the same word that in other places in Luke and Acts means to do something in full. So to give a full account or to tell uh, the whole story. And so what it's saying is as you read the rest of John, you're going to get a full account of who God is. You're going to get a full understanding of the character of God because Jesus is the one who's revealed that, which I think is pretty helpful. The other interpretation is the way, I'm really sorry, I didn't do well in English either, so grammar is not my strong suit, but it's only two words, and it's the word for like him, which is like, what's object, subject? It's the word for Jesus, like as in him, and then the verb, so like to be made known. So there's no actual thing that the verb acts on, so it's kind of left open. So it could be implied that there's um, an object or subject, whichever one it is, or it could be left open-ended that as you read the rest of the book of John, you get to know and be known by God, that there's this invitation to us with this open-ended sentence that you continue reading John and his account and the, you start to see more and more of God, more and more of his heart, his character, his love, as you read the account of Jesus. And like with any invitation, there's a, cho- like a, a choice to respond. There's a choice to how you're going to either accept or kind of decline or ignore the invitation, which is still kind of declining it. And so with that, we're going to have a chance now to respond in communion. We, we're going to have a chance to remember, in a sense, that grace upon grace, that overflowing grace that Jesus poured out for us on the cross. That as we, as we take the, the, the bread and the juice, we remember his body broken for us, his blood poured out for us. And so, in, um, I'm just going to give the instructions, but in time, come as, like when you're ready, take, take the bread, take the juice, sit back in your seat, spend some time with God. If there's things that you need to repent and confess, do that. If there's things you need to thank God for, just because of like what's happened this week, thank Him for those things. If there's stresses and worries and burdens that you need to give to Him, give those to Him. Spend some time now with Him and then we'll all come together. Yeah, and feel free to take that in your own time. So how about I pray before we do that? So Lord, thank You so much for Your, your grace. Thank you so much for what you've done on the cross for us. And we just pray as we come up that your spirit will speak to us. Lord, that your spirit will make known the things that you want to make known to us. And God, we just pray that you guide us in this time, that you you just meet us where we're at, wherever we're at. And we just thank you again for your son and who he is. Amen.